This is recording number 10716 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the third message in the Compassionate Commandments series. It was recorded on Sunday morning, June 17, 2007. This message is titled, Holiness. Now I'm going to ask you to turn first to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, and some of you I know are saying, well, where the heck is that? And uh, uh, that's perfectly fine. There's 66 books in here. I can't remember where they all are either. But you can use the table of contents, tents. And when you get to the book of Isaiah, turn to chapter 6. And when you get there, mark that in some way, because I'm going to have you turn somewhere else, and, but we'll come back. So Isaiah chapter 6, and just stick something in there, you know, a cup of coffee or something, just to mark that spot. And then turn to the, to the New Testament, way in the back of the New Testament, to the book of 2 Timothy. There's 1 and 2 Timothy, just a little tiny book back there. And uh, when you find 2 Timothy, turn to chapter 2. And we're going to continue our current study of the Ten Commandments called the Compassionate Commandments. And one more time, I'm going to just say that um, the reason I've I've opted to uh, sort of change or you know, rename this series. This, definitely the series could have been titled The Ten Commandments. I mean, it was a movie with that title, right? So, The Ten Commandments. But I purposefully felt, um, and specifically felt, as though it was important for us to sort of reshape our concept. Uh, not that the Bible needs me to reshape it or anything, or, you know, that somehow God missed something there when he, uh, when he was uh, giving us his word, but... Our, uh, our perspective on the commands of God has been misshapen by and large. You and me and our neighbors, when we think about God giving us commandments, there's a negative connotation to that. First of all, none of us like rules. None of us like to be told what to do. We have sort of this innate or in, in kind of, uh, uh, you know, auto response when somebody tells me what I can't do or should do, it's like, mm, mm, mm. There's something just goes off in me. I don't like that. So we tend to think of God in heaven as just issuing these edicts that are just, you know, burdensome and, and they take the fun out of life. And so we have, we, when, when we approach the, the, uh, this whole uh, section that is so vitally important to our lives in the book of Exodus chapter 20, where I didn't have you turn today because we've been there twice already, and I'm just going to read for you one verse out of there. But Exodus chapter 20 is where Moses is on the Mount Sinai, and God is giving him these Ten Commandments. When we think about that, we tend to think of it as some stern, white-haired wizard in the heavens waving his bony finger at us and telling us what we can't do. And that is just not at all what this is about. This, these commandments flow out of the heart of God to us because he wants us to know how it is we can live and enjoy life the way he intended. The people of Israel were on their way to the fulfillment of his promises, on their way to the promised land, and he invited them to meet him first so that he could give them these treasured 
uh, commands that would secure their future as they went into the fulfillment of their promises. That's, the, that's what this is all about. This is our third week in the series. It will uh, probably, uh, uh, without me needing to say so, you would understand it's going to be at least a 10-week series, right? Because there's 10 commands. <laughs> so Exodus chapter uh, 20 you don't need to turn there, as I already said. I'm going to do it for you. Is the spot in the Bible where the Ten Commandments um, are referenced. And we've already talked about the first, which is, I am the Lord your God, excuse me, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. We talked about that. And then last week we talked about, you shall not make for yourself a carved image and how we often... Um, find ourselves painting a face on God and, uh, and the, the, how devastating that is to us when we try to shape God into an image that we want him to be. It's devastating to us. Excuse me. So today we come to the third commandment, which is you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. And the issue here is really Holiness. It's not that there's just a God in heaven who doesn't want you calling him names or using his name in an empty way. It's because he wants for us to know holiness. So let's talk about that a bit. First of all, I want you to see with me that names are powerful. Names are powerful. They carry substantial emotional charges and imagery. What if I say the name Adolf Hitler? All of a sudden, there are thoughts that come, burst into our minds. There are feelings that, that come to us when we hear that name. There's images, like, like I've already said. That, it, it has, that name has much attached to it. What if I say Tiger Woods? I guess he's playing golf today, right? George W. Bush, Frank Sinatra, Bono. He's all over, what is it, Life magazine or some magazine in the life? Yeah, everywhere you look, there's Bono, okay? And great. I mean, he's doing a fabulous work in Africa. But there's images that come to our mind when we think of these people. Abraham Lincoln. How many of you right now, I said his name, Abraham Lincoln, you pictured him? The hat, the whole bit, you know? What if I knew your mother's name and mentioned her name? What kind of emotions would come just unbidden, just be right there? Pictures. You know, some good, some not so good, but you can't help it. They're there. They're tied to that name. They are the handles we use to connect to the character and personality of others. And because names are, a pow are powerful, abuse of a person always, always, always begins by devaluing their name. Not long ago, I was driving on the freeway, actually just getting on the freeway, and I didn't cut this guy off or anything. He was way, you know, uh, he was probably, I don't know how, how far back, but I mean plenty far back that I wasn't causing him any trouble. He just got ticked off that somebody else was sharing the freeway with him that day. And he, you know, just took it upon himself to try to drive me off the road. And it was scary. It was, you know, nuts. 
I'll bet you, though, I will bet you any amount of money before that guy raced around in front of me, slammed on his brakes, and tried to cause me to have an accident, he first called me a name. I'll bet you. I might have called him a couple of names, too. I don't know. <laughs> Abuse of a person always begins by devaluing their name. How many of you ever were in middle school? Boy, kids can be brutal. My mother made me a pair of red corduroy pants and made me, made me wear them to school. What was she thinking? So... So I got this name, this red butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not fun. Not pleasant at all. But abuse of a person always begins by devaluing their name. And devaluing a person's name diminishes all they represent. God's name is powerful for so many reasons. I mean, the Bible tells us that there's no other name under heaven by which a man can be saved other than Jesus Christ. God's name is powerful for so many things. I could talk about that all day long, but I want you to see something that uh, is most directly uh, applied to our subject today is that he is the only standard of holiness. He's the only standard of holiness. I, I, you know, I I almost brought in a a bottle of water today, you know, because they, I mean, I don't know. I've lived long enough that we used to get our water out of the tap, you know? I rem- and, and some of you don't even remember those days. I remember uh, about three years ago or so, this little girl in the church that we were pastoring at the time, her mom told me this story. She came to her mom and she said, Mom, could I please have some sink water? Because all she's ever known is bottled water. And it was like this exotic experience to have water right out of the tap. Mom, can I please have some sink water? That's just crazy. But these, these bottled water companies, they fight with each other. We're more pure. No, we're more pure. No, we're more pure. We come from Canada. We come from an Esker, whatever that is. We come from Tahiti, we, Fiji. You know, it's, it's, we're more pure, right? There is no such thing as pure anything on this planet, let alone water. There's always a percentage, right? Percent pure. There is only one standard of holiness in all the universe. God. Only one. Now, I I like to think of myself as a musician... I've been playing, playing at it for a long time. And I, you know, I've had some 
pretty neat experiences. I mean, I've had people record songs that I've written. In fact, one time, I, I, a song that I, that I wrote, a guy um, recorded, and it became the number one Christian song in the country. And I was like, dude, I'm a musician. I'm a songwriter. And then my, you know, every once in a while, my friend Dave Stanley will show up, like he did last week, and show us what a real guitar player is like, <laughs> a real songwriter is like. Someone who can actually sing? And I'm like, I'm looking for the nearest exit. There's a standard that he represents that I don't measure up to. But you know what? It's, it's not so much negative. It, it gives me something to aspire to. There's a standard there that I want to try to get better. I want to be a better songwriter. I want to sing better. I want to learn how to play that stinking guitar up there. You know, there, there are, um, <laughs> you know, it's funny, I, I, I go, uh, I am so, so confused by clothing styles. It just, you know, I, I, I go to places and I, like, I'll go to the mall and just sit and people watch for a while and I'll see people, what they're wearing, and I go, what, what has possessed these people? <laughs> have I, have I, Ended up on Mars somehow? Is this another planet? What is that? Why? How, how is it that they wear their pants at their ankles? I don't understand this. You know, there's so many. I, I don't get it. But you know what? Part of the reason why I look, part of the reason why I people watch like that is because I want to figure out what I should be wearing. Because otherwise, can you imagine what I would look like? Now, don't, don't comment because... Uh, and I, I know we all do this. We sort of compare with each other. Well, what sort of shoes does he wear? Or she wear? You know, maybe that's what I ought to get. You know, and we, we, that's how we decide what we ought to look like is by comparing ourselves with other people. Standard. We, and you know, I hate to admit it, but you look at magazines and you see what the glitterati are wearing and you go, hmm, well, eek. I could never fit into that, but, you know, it's sort of, maybe that's what I ought to shoot for. Standards. And God is the only standard of holiness. If we are going to experience holiness, purity, which we all long for, don't we? Don't we want to have a life that's more pure? I mean, deep in your, in your heart, don't you long to be rid of the debris and the poison and the devastation? Don't you want to experience more purity and holiness in your life? I do. So what are we going to look to for a standard of holiness? Not, certainly not to me. There's only one standard of holiness, and that's God. Disrespect for his name diminishes all measures of beauty, nobility, excellence, goodness, honesty, righteousness, Every good thing. 
When we devalue God's name, we diminish. Disrespecting his name diminishes. It brings the standard down in our minds. It's sort of like this. It's kind of like I'm, I'm almost after, you know, almost a year of living in this house. I've almost got my garage clean. <laughs> almost. I'm really close. I'm thinking I might be able to get a car in there. <laughs> Believe it or not. Well, you know what happens. You get your garage clean, and then you'll, you'll buy something, and you don't know where to put it, so you just set it on the floor somewhere. And it likes, it's like it attracts other things. <laughs> it's like a magnet. And before you know it, there's this, and there's that, and, this, and it just piles up again, and you don't know how this happened. And it's sort of like when you put that one thing there, you're diminishing the quality of this well-ordered, clean environment. And then it's sort of, oh, well, it's, it's over now. Something's out of place. Let's just add more to it. And it isn't, don't we do that with lots of things? It's like, uh, you know, well, I've already, I've already made a, you know, I've already blown it with my kids, so why try to live up to being a better father than I should be? I'll just be what I am. You know, or, or, you know, your, your, uh, our whole school system, it seems like, maybe I'm wrong, I don't work in the school system like some of my dear friends here today, but it seems like there's the kind of this diminishing of the standard. It seems like it just kind of keeps coming down because we, none of us can, can live up to the high standard, so rather than make us all feel bad, we just kind of, an A is now sort of down in the B range, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? And so when we do this with God, when we treat his name with disrespect, it, it brings the standard down, and then everything has a certain measure of pollution about it. That's why this issue is so important. And we can misuse or disrespect God's name in two ways. I asked you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 16 and 17. Remember, the commandment that we're dealing with is today is you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. <clears throat> vain means empty or in a you know, casual way. Verse 16 of 2 Timothy 2 says, But shun profane and idle babblings, or at least the translation I'm reading out of says idle, in the King James it uses the word vain. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Paul, in writing to his protege in the faith, Timothy, is saying what we've just been talking about. That when we uh, are engaged in profane and vain discourse, it leads to or increases ungodliness or ungodlikeness, unholiness. Then verse 17 says, And their message will spread like cancer. This is not a trivial issue. I know some, somebody right now is just going, See there, Mildred, I knew if I went down to that church, they'd get all over my case for my cussing. No, that's not what it's about. It's about much more than that. We can misuse God's name in two ways, in vanity or vain. That means empty, irreverent. How do we do that? Well, we do it by 
illegitimate divine validations. In other words, when we say, God told me to, when he really didn't. Because what are you going to say? I've had people come to me all the time and they'll say, well, God told me. The argument, I mean, what can I say? I, there's nothing more I can, I can't, I'm not, you know, they've ended the argument. They've ended the conversation. God told me. And they have validated whatever foolhardy thing that they're going to do by invoking God's name in an illegitimate way. We do that. And another way that we use God's name in an empty or vain or irreverent way is by careless exclamations. And I am guilty of this so often. I'll say, dear God, oh Lord. And I don't mean it. I'm not invoking the Lord. I'm not praying. <laughs> I'm just exclaiming. I'm just excited or I'm confused. Dear God. But I'm using his name in an empty way and thereby diminishing his name, and thereby lowering the standard of holiness that I want. Another way that we can misuse or devalue God's name is in profane ways. The word profane, as it's used here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16, means trampled on or stepped on. How many of you know people? Notice I said know people. I didn't say how many of you. You'll thank me after. How many of you know people who use God's name in a profane way, stepped on way, trampled on? Yeah, we do that. And that brings us, kind of butts us up against the whole issue of profanity. It's not really exactly tied to the subject, but it's very close. Because often when people are using profanity, God is, God's name is in the mix there. So let me just talk for a minute about that before, before we close. Because profanity is, like I said, so closely linked to this issue that I just want to mention a couple of things that profanity trades. Profanity trades communication for convenience. And what I mean, or excuse me, intelligence for convenience. What I mean by that is, you don't have to stop and think about an intelligent response. You just shoot from the hip with some sort of convenient, profane remark. Profanity trades character for acceptance. Well, everybody else is using the F word. I will too. Doesn't it seem like in the movies it's like this race for how many F words they can get into the film? It's like, well, they did it, so we'll do two <laughs> you know, in the course of a 120-minute movie. And then, oh, no, well, we could... <sighs> this escalating thing. I want to be like them, so I, I talk like they do rather than stand out as a person of character. We trade character for acceptance when we use profanity. We trade boldness for brassiness. Boldness has a moral element. It's taking a firm stand and being firm. And there are ways to do that without resorting to profanity. Brassiness is just plain, it's just being loud, rude, or obnoxious. There's no morality involved. Profanity trades communication for confrontation. When you're talking with somebody, especially about a heated subject, 
The minute you use a profane word, everybody's back on their heels in defense. You're not going to go anywhere. There's no communication that's going to happen anytime soon. So we trade communication for confrontation. We trade authority for abusiveness. Sometimes people think that they can gain some sort of, uh, you know, uh, ground of authority over another person by how many curse words they can sling at them. All that is is abuse. There's no authority in that. Finally, profanity trades humor for vulgarity. In fact, I think our culture is pretty much over the cliff on this one. I don't even think we know what true humor is anymore. All we really have left is vulgarity. There is actually a way, I think, to be funny without being profane. I know that sounds ludicrous, but I actually believe it somewhere in my heart. Now, when I'm talking about profanity, all of us have sort of a list of words that comes to mind. You know, we teach our kids, don't say the S word. Don't say that, you know, we have this list of words that are sort of off, uh, you know, off limits to, to our kids. They're available to us, but they're sort of off limits to our kids. But I'm not really talking about a specific list of words. It's not about that. It's about how we use any word. I have, I'm not one, I've never have been a person who uses words from that list that you have in your mind right now. I never have. But I use other words in a profane way. It's really the motivation behind it. It's what's behind what you say. Not, not the words you use. I hope that makes sense. I don't want to be a person who, any, who um, devalues myself and more importantly, who treads on the name of God and thereby diminishes the standard of holiness that I'm, I'm trying to, to live up to. I'm going to ask you today to join with me in committing to obeying the third commandment, the third compassionate commandment, because there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake. And I'm going to ask you to join me in that regard by inviting the Lord to heal our hearts. Why do I say that? Because of this verse. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Let's read it on the count of three. One, two, three. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Whether you lie, I would just as soon get out uh, some whiteout and, and take care of this verse. I don't really like this verse being in the Bible. Because it says that what I say has a connection to what's down in my heart. Eek. I don't like that. I don't like to think about that. But look, I'm never going to be able to clean up my act in terms of, you know, uh, my, I, mean, I, I might be able to figure out how to control my tongue. But the harder thing is what's, what's in my heart that's driving what I say. 
And we're not going to get to the issue at its root until we say, Lord, what's in my heart that causes me to speak in this way? And that's a pretty big issue. It can be lots of things. It can be hurt. It can be insecurity, right? It can be a lot of things. But we need the Lord to to help us to see this isn't just a matter of self-discipline. This is a matter of the heart. Lord, heal my heart. However, there is a matter of self-discipline involved, and some of us have developed certain habits around these kinds of words and what we say and how we use them. And the Lord wants to help us deal with that too. So quote with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Psalm 141, verse 9 says. Now, I had asked you originally to turn to Isaiah chapter 6, and you stuck a cup of coffee in there, something to mark your place. Turn back there, will you? Isaiah chapter 6. Now, Isaiah is having a, um, a powerful um, vision of the Lord. In verse 5, he says, Woe is me, for I am undone. He's seen God, and he goes, Holy smokes. I'm a goner. Compared to this holy God, I am undone. Why does he say that? Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He got a fresh vision of the Holy God, who's not 95% pure, not 98% pure, 100% pure. The angels are saying, Holy, holy, holy. Holy. One holy wasn't enough. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah sees this and goes, his first thought is, I'm undone because of my lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. We have diminished the value of the holy God's name in profane and vain ways, we're lost. But thank God. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim, that's an an angelic being, flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. The altar is that place where sacrifice was made to cover iniquity, to cover sin. And he gets this, this, this angel gets a, it's symbolic, but it's a powerful symbol. He gets a, one of these live coals from the altar and he brings it to where Isaiah is. And verse 7 says, he touched my mouth with it and said, touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. And then this is my favorite part. I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, now all this has happened, and the Lord speaks and says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Remember, moments before, Isaiah is saying, oh my gosh, I'm undone. I, 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 
I have taken the name of the Lord in vain. I have, I have polluted myself with what I say, and I, I live among a people, a culture that is polluted by what, we, what comes out of our lips, flowing from something damaged in our souls. We are undone. But then moments later, because of what happened on an altar, and the cross of Jesus Christ, by the way, is that altar. That's where sacrifice was made to cover sin. Because of what happens there, then God says, Whom shall I send who will go for us? And something has so transpired that Isaiah now answers and says, Here am I. Send me. Such recovery, such a sense of renewal has reached his soul because of the, the power of the sacrifice that has been offered for him that he who moments before was looking for a place to hide, is now volunteering to serve the king of kings. And it's not pride or arrogance. It's salvation. It's healing. It's forgiveness. And you and I have that same opportunity here and now. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and put your things aside. And I'm going to pray. And I'm, I just want to, I'm coming for myself. But I want to bring you along with me. Let's go before this great king of ours who is holy, holy, holy and not here today to wave, to, to beat us up with our unholiness, but to invite us to know more of his purity and experience more of it in our lives. So let's come with repentance. Let's come inviting him to deal with anything that's in our heart that causes uh, us to have, uh, to be partners with our culture and the pollution that flows from our lips. Let's ask him to deal with that and invite him to change our thinking about this whole subject. Lord, we do. We come now with desire, sincere desire, that you, Lord, would enable us to have our sin purged, our, our sin covered. And we know, we know, Lord, that the cross of Jesus is the symbol that you have already done this. You have already covered our sin. And most of us in this room have already embraced your forgiveness. We're not asking you to do any more forgiving than you've already done. But what we are asking is that you would help us to live in the power of that forgiveness. And Lord, whether it's, it's a hurt or insecurity or, you know, whatever it might be that re, that's wounded in our hearts that causes us to, to, do, to, to misuse and devalue your name. Lord, we pray that you would mend that, that you would heal that with your tender, powerful touch right now. And I pray, Lord, also that you would cause us to then be an example to our culture like, like the, what we just read about Isaiah when you said, all right, now who, will, who can I send? Who would be a, ch a change agent who can I uh, put out there in the midst of this 
broken culture as a sample, an example of a different way to live. And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Some of us are saying that right now. Lord, I want to be a change agent. I want to live different and inspire others to live different too. I want to model more of your holiness and purity in this world. And let's start with what I say. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.